You're listening to. You're listening to. The Homo Homie Podcast. Representing, educating, and unifying our queer comunidad. Also, a gig craft course 101 for the hetero. I'm your host, Eric V. And I'm your co host, Jose Resendez. A fun kickback podcast for all our Homo Homies and Raza. We invite you to download, stream, and share to, to find out what's, what's good in the hood. Welcome back to another episode of the Homo Homie Podcast. I'm your host, Eric V, also known as the Homo Homie. And please welcome my adorable co-host, Jose Resendez. Hi, everyone. Jose Resendez. And I'm 18 and up. And the reason I'm saying that is because lately we've been doing all these like rated R episodes, right? Explicit. Well, not rated R. Is it rated R? Explicit episodes. Explicit? I mean, we cuss and joke around in almost every single episode though, right? Yeah, basically. So this is a, a more adult content, but I mean, if if you're if you're under the age, make sure you have an adult present. Just saying. <laughs> for just for our legal reasons. Yes. And speaking about 18 years and up. This episode involves talking about the dingaling, you know, the the eggplant, the eggplant emoji. So we want to um, just give you a heads up so that way you can get the kids out of the room. Okay, how many <laughs> how many seconds should we give them, Jose? Five seconds. Okay, one, two. Three. Okay, we're back. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, now we can say dick, 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 big dick, little dick, schlong, uh, wiener, wanger. I don't know, Peter Piper, fucking Johnson, Johnson a cock destroyer. Yes. <laughs> did you like that? Yes, I did like that. Um, but yeah, this episode's all about the dick, and we're gonna talk about some professional serious more you know medical things such as you know issues that may occur down there but we're also going to have a little bit of fun and mm-hmm. ask all the questions that you guys have been submitting to us and just have a chit chat about what's dangling down there to have a chit chat about what's hanging what's hanging what's mm-hmm. and since we did have you covered from the back we are going to grab you by the balls and have you covered from the front so this episode is our valentine's day episode i'm really excited and hopefully you guys get something out of it and hopefully you're able to please your partner in certain ways and we have um, a medical professional in our episode today so we're going to be talking about all about the d and uh prepping for sex uh, you know leaning towards tops but everyone in general you know yeah i mean not not just tops have dicks by the way <laughs> bottoms and verses and everybody <laughs> has so dicks stupid. you know uh, trans men and um you know and even like our straight allies that deal with penises too like everybody deals with the dick yeah so like, literally and figuratively <laughs> we have you guys all covered don't worry shit and i wanted to say that the reason we made this our valentine's day episode is because you may not have a partner you may be lonely you may be sad okay maybe i'm talking about myself but <laughs> that makes two of us hope <laughs> sometimes you have to please yourself and so we talk a little bit about jerking off too shoot well especially in a pandemic we talk a lot about self-love so there's nothing wrong with a little self-love to love yourself okay how does RuPaul say it? If you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? Can I get an amen up in here? Amen. Amen. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that on the podcast. <laughs> I've actually been dying to say that. Oh, my gosh. And then we're going to be also talking about uncut dick, too. So, like, I'm cut, but I, I want to know about uncut dick. Like, Wait, playing with the you're skin. Cut? Yes. I think I'm going to leave my uh, people guessing if I'm cut or uncut. 
But are we gonna do a poll? Uh, <laughs> maybe we can do a poll. <laughs> Is Jose cut or uncut? <laughs> if you know what poll I'm talking about, but uh, most Latino men or people of color are uncut, right? I yeah. feel like in Latin America. Like my mom, you know, she's from Guatemala. My dad's from Mexico. Every time I go over there, maybe these apps or whatever or porn, it's always uncut. Yeah, well, my dad was. And so he had a majority of us snipped because he said it was really bad for, you know, um, when you pulled the skin or something like that, that it hurt. So I don't know. Maybe we'll it find. It doesn't hurt. It's just sensitive. And and, and as, as you grow older. How like, do you know that? You, <laughs> Are you uncut? As you grow older, <laughs> you kind of just deal with it. <laughs> oh my god da, 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 da. Da, 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 da. she gave herself away <laughs> all right introduce introduce our guest because he's really cute all right yeah he is he's very handsome um so we have dr joshua gonzalez who is based out of los angeles california and is a board certified urologist who is fellowship trained in sexual medicine and specializes in the management of male and female sexual dysfunctions these include issues surrounding hormone deficiency menopause sexual arousal orgasm ejaculation libido desire sexual sexual pain, penile curvature, and erectile function. He also treats a variety of common urological conditions, including benign prosthetic diseases, voiding dysfunction, and male infertility. Throughout his career, Dr. Gonzalez has focused on advocating for sexual health and providing improved health care to the LGBTQ community. Hey! Ooh. That was a lot, girl. I cannot believe you made it through that bio. That's I know. Some big words there. <laughs> mm, so get ready to gird your loins, cause we are about to get it on like Donkey Kong. You're listening to the Homo Homie Podcast. We are back and I am super, super excited because we have our special guest, the Dick Doc from TikTok, Dr. Joshua R. Gonzalez. Welcome, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Looking forward to the weekend. Almost there. Right. Isn't everybody? Yeah. <laughs> um, we were recommended to you by Dr. Carlton, the butt doctor. And um, uh, he I'm, I'm glad that he he recommended us to you because we wanted to talk about all about dicks and about penis perfect. care and health care and find out, you know, like the pros and cons of just penis health and um, like bladder health and kidney health and whatnot. And uh, I understand that you have your TikTok and it's growing more and more. You're at like 45K plus. So like, how, yeah. did, how did that happen? I don't know, honestly. Um, so I just um, have been looking, you know, I'm, I'm probably five years now into practice and I've always looked at social media as a valuable tool at reaching, you know, just the everyday person um, and, and having a conversation about sexual health. A lot of patients find me, um, through non-traditional sources. So, you know, historically, most people who see a urologist end up, you know, getting referred by their primary care doctor. And I certainly have some patients that do that, but a lot of people self-refer. So they find me, you know, on Yelp, or they come across my website, um, or articles that I've written, and they read the stuff that I've written, and they look at my reviews, and they decide that they want to come see me. And I think it's because, um, you know, I focus primarily on sexual health, and that's not something that all people always feel comfortable discussing with a provider. And so a lot of people don't want to bring it up to their primary physician, or maybe they have, and they've been dismissed. And so they end up kind of taking it, um, 
uh, taking it on themselves and kind of and referring themselves. So um, I've always kind of valued social media. Um, TikTok was always exciting to me, but very daunting. But I was very surprised at how um, receptive people were to the content. And we were getting all kinds of DMs with questions. And, um, you know, we've already had some patients come through the office that have found me through TikTok. And it's really fun. And the media company that I'm working with and I have really enjoyed making content and, and translating some of the questions that we get through TikTok into new content. Um, and it's just been really great. So I, I never started this, this TikTok journey with the any kind of expectations. And I've been really shocked at how um, uh, this particular platform seems so open to is there, is con- there a content around sexual health. Is there yeah. a particular video that, that, that stands out that has been like the most popular or that keeps I, getting reposted? Yeah. So I think the one that's done them best is the one that was about um, primarily focused on erectile dysfunction. So it's basically sort of how to, I think it was like how to maximize your erections. Um, so, I mean, to me that, that says, I, I think most of the response to that and probably most of the viewership is from men. Um, but there, there are even some, um, some partners of men with erectile dysfunction that have reached out and said, Hey, my partner is having issues. What do you think it could be? Or, um, you know, asking their own questions. Um, and then I also have positioned myself as, um, a gay man, you know, doing this. Um, and that so adds another layer of, um, of people that I can reach. And I think that, you know, one of my other goals when I started practice was not only to, to, broaden the, the conversation about sexual health, but specifically to um, make that conversation include people in the LGBTQ plus community, because as a gay man myself, I can tell you that, um, you know, a lot of physicians, unless you're lucky enough to be seeing like a gay provider, um, a lot of, you know, straight providers are not really comfortable having conversations around sex. And it's, especially when you talk about non-heterosexual sex. And so um, I think there's a lot of gay men and LGBTQ plus people out there in general that are not, they don't feel comfortable having those conversations. And so that's always been kind of a, a goal of mine. As a urologist um, and your background in like an education, um, like studying these degrees and going to, you know, med school, is there, is LGBT part of the curriculum or is there no. some kind of like lessons? Mm. So besides you being, you know, identifying as gay, like what, what sets your practice apart or your services apart, you know, in terms of providing for the LGBTQ community? Right. So I guess, um, to answer the first part of your question, um, with, um, a more nuanced response, um, the, there's actually been studies that have looked at the amount of LGBTQ plus content in medical school education and the median number of hours spent during medical school on these topics. And that's all LGBT, basically all queer topics like HIV, STDs, you know, actual sexual health and sexual dysfunction um, is five hours, like total five hours in four years. So um, wow. that's very disappointing. And I think that just sets up a, a dynamic where, you know, providers in general, we don't get a lot in the sexual health space and we get even less in the queer sexual health space. So I think um, it sets up this dynamic where people just don't feel comfortable asking questions. And and um, especially if you're not talking about like penovaginal sex, like people get very uncomfortable having those conversations. So um, I think what sets my practice apart is, um, you know, number one, like you said, I, I am gay myself. So I am sensitive to 
the potential for patients to feel uncomfortable or to feel unsafe coming into a clinical environment. Um, and we do everything we can here to, to make that a more comfortable environment. So we, we try to be inclusive in terms of like every, everything from how we, you know, address patients and their partners to what our intake paperwork looks like. Um, I don't make any assumptions uh, about someone when they walk in the door in terms of who they're sleeping with. Uh, I do ask about that because I do think it's important, especially if you're trying to talk about certain types of sexual dysfunctions. Um, and it helps me understand more about what their goals are. Um, and as you know, as an example, like if if I'm talking to a straight guy who has erectile dysfunction and his goal is to essentially just have vaginal intercourse, you know, his erection has to be of a certain type of rigidity. If you're talking about someone who identifies as gay and has male partners and is primarily having or interested in having, you know, anal sex and functioning as a top, you have to have an even more rigid erection to penetrate someone anally. So those become important conversations to have. Mm-hmm. Um, I also don't make assumptions about what people's goals are in terms of um, family, right? So a lot of my gay patients are put on treatments um, like testosterone where, when they're on that treatment, they, they, their sperm production stops. Um, and a lot of times no one's having that conversation with them about how that could potentially affect their fertility. They go on it because their testosterone is low and they have symptoms of low testosterone and they feel better on the treatment. But when I tell them, Hey, did you know that, you know, while you're on this treatment, you're not making sperm and do you want to have kids in the future? Or have you thought about that? Many of them don't know that effect. And they're saying, and they say like, well, I wish I would have known that before I started this. And so sometimes we have to kind of undo um, some of the treatments that they've been put on so that they can continue to have that fertility potential. So we just do everything we can here to be as inclusive as possible and to not make any assumptions based on some, someone based on how they look, um, who they're having sex with and what their, you know, future potential goals are. Yeah. And I noticed that you, um, also cater to the trans community, which we love, you mm-hmm. know, you're, you're, it's, you're, you have a very inclusive practice, which is great. And what's your advocacy work with the, with the trans community? So, I mean, we, we, work with trans patients primarily on the hormonal side of things, right? So um, we prescribe um, the uh, gender-affirming hormones that they need for their treatment. Um, I'm not a trained reconstructive surgeon, so we don't really, um, I I don't really, I'm not involved in any kind of gender-affirming surgery, um, but I do have colleagues that I can refer to for that. Um, So we just kind of act as a, like an advocate for our trans patients and a sort of, almost like a primary care physician, really, because um, most of the trans patients that I've seen are not coming to me specifically for, uro- you know, traditionally urological conditions. They're mostly like they need a refill on their testosterone, you know? Yeah, so, um, so we're checking labs and making sure that their, their hormone levels are, are healthy and that their, their, everything else checks out properly. Um, and it's just sort of, we kind of act as like a, an advocate and sort of like a, a, a maintenance physician. You mentioned earlier, um, like a patient saying like, oh, I wish I knew that, you know, a while back, you know, when they go see you. So what is your advice to to people that are listening that have never seen a urologist? Do, do, do they have to go see you once they have a, a problem, an issue, a situation? Or mm-hmm. is it something that we should add to like our annual checkup or is should it be more routine? Like even if I don't have a problem, I should still go see you just yeah. in case. So I guess it depends on the age group that you're talking about. Um, so there are certain urological issues that 
one needs to be proactive about at a certain age. Um, I'm thinking specifically of something like prostate cancer, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, after the age of 55, men are generally recommended um, to have prostate cancer screening annually or at least once every couple of years. Um, that can be done by a primary care physician. It involves you know, a rectal exam and a blood test to screen for prostate cancer. Um, and so stuff like that, you know, you probably, once you get of a certain age, I would say probably over the age of like 40, 45, issues around the prostate and, and urination and stuff just kind of creep up slowly. So regular check-ins with a urologist at that age is probably not a bad idea. Um, I see a lot of young patients though, um, again, who are self-referring through mediums like TikTok and Instagram and Yelp and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're not necessarily being proactive about the problem. Like they're coming to me with an, with an already established issue. What I would encourage your listeners to do is, um, you know, at the first sign of a problem, you know, let's say we're talking about erectile dysfunction, right? Like the first time um, you notice that it's a, it's a recurring issue. Like it's not just a one-off, like you drink too much and can perform or something. Um, but it's like a, a recurring problem um, to be your own advocate. And so if you feel comfortable talking to your primary care doctor about that, start there. Um, if you, you know, are brave enough to do that and it's met with dismissal um, or someone isn't taking you seriously, then you know, look for someone who focuses like myself, who focuses specifically on sexual health, because um, it's always better to try to get to the root cause of the problem. And, and it may not be physical. Like I see some patients who come into me, we have the conversation about what can cause erectile dysfunction or what, what factors can be influencing their lack of sex drive or whatever the problem is. And we go through the potential causes of their problem and, you know, I'm a, a, a physician who focuses on the physical causes of, of sexual dysfunction, right? Mm. Um, if we go through the process of working that up and evaluating that and it's normal, then at least we've done that, right? And we've checked off those boxes. And then we have a conversation about, look, we've, we've gone through the potential physical issues that can be present. We've ruled them out. So this primarily seems to be you know, an anxiety problem or a psychological issue. So here's some, you know, resources that you can go to, to kind of work on that. But that, you know, going through that process is really helpful for patients because one of the more frustrating parts of having a sexual health issue is the uncertainty. Like, yeah. why am I having this issue? Right. Is it all in my head? Is there something potentially physically wrong? Um, and so even when we have negative workups and rule out physical problems, a lot of our, our patients are very happy because they feel like validated, like, okay, I went through this process. Now I know exactly how to kind of address this issue. Yeah. yeah. Maybe sometimes they just need like a therapist or a counselor to help them work out, work out through their issues. You probably see a lot of penises throughout the day, right? <laughs> like on a good day. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> on a good day. <laughs> yes, I do. I do see a lot of penises. What, what's usually the age bracket of your of your of your customers or that people that see it's all, a urologist? It's all over the place. All over the place. So yeah, um, urologists generally urology practices generally skew older because of the kind of urinary stuff that we talked about, and even when you're, you know, um, uh, talking about erectile dysfunction, that is generally thought of as like an older man kind of problem. Um, I find that my patients skew quite the opposite. So I have a lot of patients in their 20s, 30s, 40s. Um, I think my oldest patient was like 90, 89 or 90. Um, 
but I, I've seen, uh, I saw, I, cause I also treat female sexual dysfunction. So I saw a 16 year old woman last week. I've seen 18 year old men, um, with a variety of sexual health issues. So, um, it's, it's, it's pretty wide, the range of ages that I see, but I think if you're looking at me compared to like a general urology practice, like my age group definitely skews younger. I wanted to bring up health factors like testicular cancer and ovarian cancer and also um, uh, kidney health information. Uh, I read on cancer.org, it said that Caucasian men are four to five times more likely to have testicular cancer than any other race, as well as white women with ovarian cancer. And, you know, I would think that it would be more among the black and Latinx community because of high health factors that we um, that we face. You know, like, why is that? Um, I think it's, I mean, I'm not an oncologist, uh, so it, uh, I will do my best to speak on this, but um, certain cancers for genetic reasons are more common in certain ethnic groups. Um, so I would suspect that if you're talking about testicular and ovarian cancer, that's likely the cause um, uh, with, with white people, Caucasian people being more susceptible. Um, generally, when you're talking about all cancers, mm -hmm. you um, are correct that most cancers disproportionately affect um, people of color more. Um, but it's it's unclear, like prostate cancer, for instance, is um, uh, people, uh, 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 black people are generally thought to be a higher risk group. Um, and some of that is genetic, but some of that, um, th there are certainly disparities in access to healthcare when you're talking about minorities and people of color. Would that, um, would that also include a, a poor diet as well? Because <laughs> the foods that we eat. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's diet is, uh, an important part of everybody's health. Um, but, uh, and, and there are links between certain types of diets, high fat diets, for instance, and prostate cancer. Um, so there, it's, it's hard to parse out like, you know, why one cancer is higher in a certain group than others. Cause it's so multifactorial, but minorities and people of color generally are disproportionately worsely affected with a lot of cancers yeah and what about like kidney disease and how does that affect uh -huh. us and and if you have kidney disease um what are the impacts of uh, sexual intercourse when you know when being intimate with somebody um so that's also a little bit complicated so if you're talking about like medical kidney disease right um that is generally something that is addressed by a, a physician called a, nef a nephrologist they kind of medically manage kidney disease Urologists tend to focus more on um, surgical interventions for the kidney. So kidney cancer, kidney stones, those sorts of things that require procedures. Mm -hmm. um, in general, if you're talking about someone with medical kidney disease, right, like their kidneys don't function properly, um, that could be because they have high blood pressure, that could be because they have longstanding diabetes or some other chronic medical condition. Um, the kidney disease itself doesn't negatively affect sexual function per se, but it is a um, often the result of other underlying health conditions that can negatively affect sexual function. So if you're talking about high blood pressure or diabetes, both of those conditions are known to cause problems with the cardiovascular system. Guess what? To have a normal erection, you have to have normal blood flow. And so one of the first areas to be affected by cardiovascular disease is the penis. And so you will sometimes see, um, you know, a patient present with ED before they even present with kidney disease or before they even present with a heart attack or a stroke um, because 
the blood vessels supplying the penis with blood are so small, um, even in comparison to the blood vessels of the kidney or the blood vessels of the heart, that um, ED is sometimes the first symptom of underlying an underlying cardiovascular problem. Well, thank God I don't have ed <laughs> i can still get it out so i'm good on that <laughs> and then um oh kidneys you mentioned uh, kidney stones uh yeah does drinking a lot of soda really do create that those little kidney stones because i heard it it feels like you're giving birth but worse <laughs> when it's coming out of your penis um soda like like coca-cola soda yeah coca-cola like, like soda yeah, like, yeah, yeah i mean all that sugary stuff so yeah so people can form kidney stones for a variety of different reasons the most common uh cause of kidney stones is dehydration so chronic dehydration which most of us are walking around poorly hydrated mm -hmm. um that's where i think the soda kind of can contribute to that um there's other types of foods um uh like if you're a big red meat eater that can increase your your um chance of forming stones if you eat a high salt diet Ooh. um that can increase your your chance of forming stones so generally speaking like if we're seeing someone who has passed a stone or has required some sort of intervention to go extract a stone um one of the the tips that we give them is you know number one make sure that you're always trying to stay as hydrated as possible and that's primarily hydrating with water um number two you know cutting back on animal protein intake specifically red meat um but that that includes all animal protein yeah. um, and then trying to minimize adding salt to your foods because you know the western diet is already filled with so much sodium um, and so the last thing you want to be want to be doing is adding salt to your diet yeah no i cut back on a lot of salt because i come from a family of you know, diabetes. I mean, personally, I find it necessary to talk about all these health issues. Um, and I, like, like I said, I come from a long line of uh, family that have health problems. And yeah. um, I also was just thinking about like people who are adopted and are part of the LGBTQ community that just don't really know their health history. So, you know, we would, uh -huh. we would encourage you to go ahead and um, just go to your health provider and make sure you do some blood tests and scans and just check your body just to make sure that you're all healthy and good, you know? Mm -hmm. So, all right, enough of the boring section because everybody wants to talk about the dick and what's like, what, <laughs> what, what we have going on. I was, I was waiting for this. So before we get started, here's a little fun fact. The average penis size when erect is 5.5 inches in size. It's mm. the size of an iPhone plus. The largest is 7.1 inches founded in the Congo. And the smallest is in North Korea coming in at 3.8 inches. Wow, that's small. South America is the most well-hung continent with an average of 6.63 .6 inches and only 3% of the population is eight inches or more. I was gonna say, because mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of uh, big penises. Wait, where did you hub. get these numbers from? Did you go measuring around, Eric? <laughs> I wish. Yeah. Are you kidding me? No. <laughs> <laughs> these are very exact numbers. I don't know about this study. <laughs> no, I mean, I think I think the numbers that you quoted are pretty accurate. Really? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've heard similar numbers. So, yeah, I mean, I think that it's important to set expectations um, because so I think especially with like the the prevalence of porn use, right? Like, We've all, you know, of a, of a certain age, like if you've grown, you know, grew up in the 80s or 90s, like if you've grown up with the internet, you've grown up with pornography, like from yeah. a very young age. And so, and, and easy access to pornography. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but what it can do is skew your concept of what is realistic, right? So like everyone has a big dick in porn. That's why they're in pornography. Like that's literally why they have their job. Um, but that is not representative of what is, you know, true in real life. In and general. so, uh, 
Yeah, exactly. So like, you know, I have a lot of patients who come in thinking some kind feeling some kind of way about what their penis looks like, how big it is. And they're, they're just gro- gross, have gross misconceptions about what a normal penis is. And so I actually sometimes have to have a conversation with them about like, I see dicks all day long. Trust me, yours is completely normal. Um, and kind of dispel certain beliefs that they have about what their dick looks like. Can I show you mine right now? Can you tell me if it's, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Can you tell me if it's normal? I'll send you a bill in the mail. Oh, okay. No worries. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, enough digging around for right now. We're going to go ahead and take a little break because we got a lot of questions, a load more of questions for uh, Dr. Gonzalez. And uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Homo Homie Podcast. Hey, Homo Homies. It's time we talk about equal health care. You know, we all want a little peace of mind when it comes to our health. It's hard to find a healthcare provider that doesn't treat you like a number and that doesn't judge you. And for us being gay, we need someone who will understand our health needs and make us feel comfortable and accepted. Finding good healthcare can be especially challenging if you are in the LGBTQ plus community. LGBTQ plus people are less likely to have health insurance or have the ability to fill prescriptions and more likely to receive delayed care or even be refused services. Carbon Health believes in accessible and inclusive healthcare for everyone. Carbon Health clinics are judgment-free zones. Every person and every identity is met with kind, compassionate, and quality healthcare at Carbon Health. Whether you're in one of their clinics or far, far from home, in every kind of neighborhood, with any kind of insurance, or with no insurance at all, Carbon Health now offers LGBTQ plus care at select California clinics. Book your virtual visit or an appointment at one of their clinics by going online or using the Carbon Health mobile app. Visit carbonhealth.co backslash homohomies to learn more. That's carbonhealth.co backslash homohomies and tell them we sent you. And we are back from the break. And okay, so we're going to go ahead and do this. Um rapid round of questions we have like a list of categories for you and hopefully we can get through these asap (laughs) all right so i'll do my best our first question is masturbation how much is too much in a day or overall and the recommended amount um there is not a specific recommended amount i am i tend to be very like um sex positive. So I don't think that there's a problem with masturbation. If you want to masturbate every day, I think it's fine. I think what I just counsel my patients on is that if it is having a negative impact on your life, it is, if it's preventing you from doing other things that you should be doing in your life, if it's preventing you from pursuing sexual relationships with other people, mm-hmm. um, then to me, that's having a detrimental effect. And I recommend that those patients cut back. Um, but masturbation in general, I think is a very healthy thing. And, and so I, you know, whatever feels good for you. And, and as long as it's not having any detrimental effect, I think it's fine. And I understand you are also a, 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 an advisor for Astroglide. So for sexual health. Yeah. So mm-hmm. what is the best lubricant or stimulator that you could use and, and what prevents yeah. dick chafing? Oh, what prevents dick chafing? Um, uh, it depends on what kind of sex you're having. So I think if you're having anal sex, um, the like the the silicone based loops are probably the best bet. Astroglide specifically makes a gel and a liquid based silicone um, product. Um, they are not FDA approved 
for use uh, for for anal sex. So I cannot specifically recommend that you use those um, for those kinds of sexual behaviors. But I think in general, silicone-based lubes um, provide um, a, a silkier, sort of slippery experience, which you kind of want for anal sex um, because again, there's there's you have there's a lot of resistance. Um, when you're having anal sex. And so you want something that provides like long lasting um, sort of silky smooth finish. Mm. And what is the best way to improve longer orgasms? Longer orgasms. What do you mean by longer orgasms? Like how can you last longer during sex, but have that good climax feeling? Um, okay. So lasting longer in during sex is a little bit different than, than affecting orgasm. I mean, the, the time of orgasm for all people is like a relatively short experience, but it is a right. build up to that experience. Right. So, um, there are some people who have problems with like ejaculatory control, right. They come too quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, and there are a variety of treatments for that. Like you can use condoms, which creates a barrier. There's topical sprays that you can use that numb your penis to make you less likely to come too quickly. Um, there are some medications that we use off-label to help men with premature ejaculation. Um, so if that's what you're kind of speaking about, there's definitely things that can be done. There's not really much to, I mean, from a medical standpoint anyway, to change like the actual time of orgasm because it's a relatively short experience. Um, right. There are some people, you know, um, that can have multiple orgasms. Mm -hmm. um, that's mostly women. It's, it's much less common with men. Men have a longer refractory time. And, and there are certain like um, practices like Tantra and stuff that, that are um, are used by people. And it's not something that I would, that I prescribe necessarily, but that, that I've had patients that have engaged in that can sort of prolong the, experience. the sexual pleasure experience. Yeah. I mean, cause I seen, I seen uh, when guys come, <laughs> they come again, like right after they come, they literally they'll do more like stimulation and then they'll come again. So I was like, how, yeah. how is that possible? Yeah. So, I mean, multi-orgasmic men is a pretty rare thing um and sometimes it's just like a delayed like expulsion of their ejaculate fluid so it kind of depends on the person um sometimes people pre-come a lot and so like that's what like you initially think is like them coming or if they're getting penetrated uh if they're like bottoming some people can have like prostatic fluid come out and it, it's like almost like they're coming but it's actually not their orgasm mm -hmm. um and so um, those are kinds of explanations for why I guess some men can seemingly come more than, more than once. What about, uh, blue balls? Like, how do you know you have blue balls? I, I know that people always say that, you know, maybe they yeah. haven't gotten laid or something like that. Is yeah, it yeah. an actual thing? Yeah. So, um, blue balls is generally thought to be sort of like a back pressure in the, the, the testicles from prolonged kind of stimulation that isn't allowed to sort of release, right? Um, that's the physiological explanation for it um, because you get an inf increase of blood to the area and then the veins that normally drain blood from, you know, your testicle or any part of the body um, are kind of shut down. So you get, so the blood goes in and just kind of stays there. And then if you don't like ejaculate and release, then you get like tension in the testicle and that's thought to contribute to the blue balls feeling. Um, I also think it's related to the muscles in your pelvis that control your balls moving up and down. Like during, you know, when you're hot, they hang lower. When you're cold, they, they retract. Um, during sex, they generally retract. And so the, the, the muscles in our pelvis um, 
relax and contract depending on what kinds of activity you're engaging in. And some people can have like really tight pelvic floor muscles that can actually squeeze on nerves that innervate like our testicles. Um, and so men can sometimes report either blue balls or even sometimes pain when they ejaculate or after they ejaculate related more to that problem. Yeah. We also, we also got a question from one of our listeners. They were asking like, why do penises curve? Like, does mm-hmm. the, does it like wearing underwear or tight clothing as a, as a kid and growing up, maybe pampers and things uh, like pampers, does that affect like the curve? Um, there's not any clear indication that that is, that there's a link between like types of underwear you wear and like curvature. Um, this is also kind of one of the things that I, I do to try to normalize people's perceptions of what is normal. Like some curvatures are totally normal, right? Like if you've always had a curve, that's your normal. It may not be the normal that you see on film, but that's your normal where curvatures become pathological is like when someone has a straight penis for most of their life and then all of a sudden they develop a curve like that's not normal and there's a condition called Peyronie's disease that can lead to um, new curvature essentially and so we try to kind of distinguish between the two so I always ask as, as a screening question even if someone's not coming in to see me for penile curvature I ask patients if their penis does curve if so which direction and how long it's been that way um, and if it's like a new problem, then I talk to them about what may have contributed to this curve and we, we try to get to the bottom of it. What about penis pumps? People keep sending us penis pumps, um, products, mm-hmm. like they want us to review them on the podcast or talk about them and promote them. Are, do they really work like to make your penis larger? No, <laughs> no, they don't make your penis larger. Um, they can be helpful in certain populations of patients, I think um, sometimes it's used in Peyronie's disease, which is the condition I was just talking about with penile curvature, um, because sometimes people have Peyronie's disease that doesn't necessarily cause a curve, but can cause like an indentation. And so sometimes we'll use, um, they're, they're called vacuum erection devices in, um, in the medical field. Um, but uh, so we'll use them for that. Um, and I think it can be helpful for some patients like men who have had uh, prostate cancer surgery or bladder surgery that where the blood flow or the nerve supply to their penises is affected and they're having problems with their erections after those surgeries. It can be helpful to kind of bring blood into their penis and prevent their penis from getting smaller because as men get age, the penis naturally kind of gets smaller because of you know poor blood flow over time. Um, but that can occur more extensively when you're talking about someone who's had surgery that may or may not have compromised the blood flow. So one of the things we try to do is prevent that post-surgery and we tell them to use things like vacuum er erection devices. But in general, it's not like an Austin Powers situation where like you want to have a bigger, (laughs) a bigger dick, you like use a a penis pump. That that does not happen. Yeah. Yeah. So we did get another question about like, the foreskin, proper uh, ways of cleaning, you know, when you pee, do you need to pull the skin all the way back? Um, yeah, so I think uh, the proper foreskin hygiene should really start when uh, men are babies. Um, and I think part of the problem that w- why we see problems related to foreskins later in life in adult men is because they're in this country, we generally don't do a good job of teaching boys how to like manage their foreskin like they do in other countries where circumcision is not that common. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking specifically about like European countries. They're very good at teaching little boys how to, how to do this. Um, but so, you know, when I'm seeing a guy, hopefully he's not having a problem already, but generally, you know, what you want to do is kind of retract the foreskin um, 
definitely when you urinate um, and try to retract it as much as you can. Um, and then in terms of cleaning, like assuming that you're showering every day, which I think everybody really should, um, or cleaning themselves in some way every day, um, the skin, you know, when you're in, in water and, and, and taking like a hot shower or whatever is a little bit more pliable. And so um, pulling back the foreskin as much as you can and just cleaning there, like letting soap and water run over the area is um, more than adequate. I, I generally tell people to, to refrain from putting like lotions and that kind of stuff. Cause that's the, those kinds of products, depending on what's in them can actually be irritating to the skin. And then if you irritate the skin and then cover the head of the, the penis with the foreskin, again, it can actually trap some of that irritation and create its own problem. So, um, you know, just regular like soap and water, um, and daily retraction of the foreskin during urination and showering is, is really all that's required. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned circumcision. Like, um, we know it happens when in some babies, but in like in Latin culture, there's a lot of uncircumcised mm-hmm. penises. And so like as an as getting an adult circumcision, like what mm-hmm. what goes what goes on with that? Um, so it depends. I mean, we don't generally do circumcisions here for cosmetic reasons. I mean, there are you know there are a lot of men out there that that are doing it for that reason. Um, I generally try to counsel patients to not do that if they're not having a functional problem because um, there is a certain degree of sensitivity that comes with having a foreskin. Um, and why would you want to? remove that if, if you don't need to. Um, so the, we're performing circumcisions here on patients who have a functional problem. So that may be that their foreskin is tight and cannot retract mm. fully, and they may be getting recurrent infections from that. They may have pain when they get an erection because the penis obviously gets bigger and that can stretch this tissue that's already tight and it can really hurt. Um, some men even have like tearing when they have sex because of the friction, the skin is too tight and it actually can you can get little cuts. Um, so those are the people that we're performing circumcisions on most of the time, you know, people with real functional problems. Mm, okay. Um, I wanted to ask about, about coming and like these, you know, like we, we talked about porn and like facials, are they really good for your skin or is that just like a myth? <laughs> um, I think that's probably a myth. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're high, they're high in protein. So I don't think it's like, it's so is it good protein. to swallow? Cause they're high in protein. I mean, you should probably be getting your protein through another source, but um, <laughs> I don't think it's harmful to swallow. How about that? What it uh, does sperm have different colors? Should we be looking at? Should we be looking out for different colors? Um, I mean, there's a variety of different colors that that semen can be. Um, generally, it's either whitish or kind of a grayish color. Sometimes a little bit it can skew a little bit more clear. I think the more important thing would be to look for changes, right? Like, mm-hmm. is your cum always one color and then suddenly it's yellow? Um, or, you know, people can have blood in their ejaculate. So certainly if it's bloody, you should go see somebody about that. Yeah. Um, uh, but if you're noticing a change, like, um, then that's something that you want to bring up to to a uh, healthcare provider. That's kind, of, like, that's kind of scary. Like if you're giving a blowjob and you don't really see the semen and it maybe yeah. has blood in it and you're just blindly swallowing. That's yeah, never, I mean, it's 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 a risk you take. Yeah. <laughs> what, about, what about golden showers? Um, should we not be getting urinated on? Or drinking it? If that's something that you're into, then be my guest. Um, but I, I think uh, what I would say about that is that, you know, if you're – a healthy person, um, your urine should be sterile. So it's, it's not like you're ingesting, um, like, like a, a large amount of like bacteria because when, you know, our, our urine as it, when it sits in our bladder is sterile, it should not have bacteria. And if right. it does, and you have a problem, you need to get that. Is, that, but, um, is that why people pee on their, like on their legs when they get like 
touched by like a jellyfish, like a jellyfish thing or something. They say, I don't actually know why. I don't know why why that soothes uh, a jellyfish burn. Actually, I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, but I think if you're going to be talking about riskier behavior in terms of like bodily fluids, I think right. something like rim, rimming is probably higher risk than getting peed on and swallowing someone's pee. Mm. Um, <laughs> because that area definitely has bacteria and you can definitely get infections from moving someone. Yeah. And I yeah. say that like, you shouldn't do it. If you don't, if you like it, do it. Right. Um, but, but, but it is a risk. I mean, you, you run. Yeah. Risk. Well, uh, Eric told us that for the new year, he wants to get his penis pierced. So we want to ask, like, what do you think about like piercings down there? I mean, I'm, I don't know. I just assume uh, that that must be like causes issues. Yeah. You know, um, I think it depends on what kind of piercing you're talking about. So like the classic one is like the Prince Albert, right? Which is essentially right. like a ring, a ring that goes through your urethra and then kind of comes out the bottom. And that actually, so that creates what's called a urethrocutaneous fistula, which is essentially, it's a tract from the skin, the external skin to the urethra, which is fine if you keep your ring in there. Um, but at some point, if you decide like you don't want this piercing anymore and you take it out, you'll still have a hole there. So, um, when you pee, you can actually like some pee can come out that piercing hole. Um, in addition to coming out like the end of your penis where you normally urinate from. So that's like, you know, the, the, the main, I guess, side effect of having a piercing like that. Um, and then you just obviously want to be very careful. Like if you're topping someone and you have a Prince Albert in, like you better be using a lot of lubrication um, because the last thing you want is for that thing to catch on something. And pull, yeah. Um, because it's going to create a, a big bloody mess. And speaking about piercings and stuff and putting things on your penis, uh, what about like sounding? I've heard this thing called sounding, sticking things in your urethra. Um, mm -hmm. I went to your TikTok and I saw something about batteries. Like what the heck? Uh, well, I, that was more of a joke, like kind of a joke. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> people, do people do stick weird shit in their urethra. Um, I hope I can say that word. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, in general, like sounding is also a bit of like a a big thing in, in certain fetish communities. Um, soundings sounds are used for medical procedures um, for people who have strictures, which is like a narrowing of their urethra. Mm -hmm. um, they can actually cause a stricture and cause damage if, if used incorrectly. So in general, I would, you know, counsel patients to refrain from sounding and sticking things in their urethra um, because the last thing you want to do is create, a urethral stricture because that's going to require some sort of like surgical intervention um, to fix and it can cause problems with like you know being able to pee normally and all that kind of stuff so um you know if you're if, if that's something that you're into sexually again it's all about sort of risk identification and, and understanding risk right like you run the risk of causing some sort of damage to your urethra that could could require some sort of intervention yeah well and I didn't want to get no piercing this year. My goal was to get a bigger load. I want more, like, more cum. So <laughs> how do you get a bigger load? Because I bought, like, what, testosterone to, to hopefully build that uh -huh. up? Does that work is or that, no? Is that new, is, is that new genetics? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I bought this. I haven't used it yet, but I, I was doing more research on it. But I just wanted to know because I don't know if I have low testosterone, high testosterone because, you know, it's just crazy well yeah i mean that's something that i guess important to figure out is because um decreased ejaculatory volume does occur as men get older and it's primarily a function of their testosterone declining uh there isn't um like a a reliable way to increase your load it's kind of a, a frustrating thing um 
you know, I am actually working with some colleagues on developing a supplement mm. to try to target that. Um, mm -hmm. So stay tuned. Um, but um, a lot of the, the supplements that are out there for semen health are primarily focused on fertility. So mm. they, um, they're, they're more concerned about improving the sperm within the semen. Um, and it's, I'm happy that you brought this up because I think one of the reasons that I'm looking to develop a supplement in this space is because I have a lot of gay patients who are like very frustrated by their loads, not being big enough. And some of that is again, our, our, um, uh, unrealistic perceptions of what is a normal load, right? Again, because of porn. I mean, right. you don't know what they're doing in porn. Like some of that may not even actually be semen. They have <laughs> right. certain substances that they squirt um, on. Is it, is it yeah, Elmer's glue? A turkey Elmer's baster <laughs> full of stuff. <laughs> exactly. So, um, but you know, it, it is a, it is something that comes up a lot. Like it, um, people will will ask me all the time, like, what can I do to make my loads bigger? The, I mean, the best thing you can do is again, it's um, being well hydrated. There are certain um, like vitamins, like zinc is really important for semen health. So like, you know, taking a zinc supplement may help, um, but there's nothing that's been proven, right? There's nothing that's been studied specifically for the purposes of increasing volume. It's all about like the sperm. Yeah. Well, Jose and I want to be a part of your study, by the way. So we'll, <laughs> I, will, I will, I will let you know because we're planning on actually studying it and not just like making a gimmicky thing. Like we would like to actually prove that it increases things. So no, for sure. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm HIV positive. So that's even a plus for you to find out how that works in that community. Yeah. It's good to know. What about vasectomies? Do you do those in your office? We do. Yeah. Uh, what does that consist of? And is it reversible? And it's a very straightforward procedure. I mean, men are very uh, scared or hesitant to get it done. Um, it's done under local anesthesia. So we just like give you an injection of a medicine to kind of numb the area. I usually have uh, my patients take like a Xanax or something that we prescribed for them prior to the procedure. So they're just sort of relaxed and calm. Um, it, you know, we make two little tiny incisions, one on each side, because you have a vase on each side. And then, you know, cut it and tie it off. And um, it's pretty straightforward. It takes about 30, 40 minutes. Um, it is reversible. The reverse surgery is a little bit more complicated. It usually involves like a microscope. You have to do it in an operating room setting while the patient's asleep. It's not always successful. So, you know, I definitely counsel patients um, when they're getting a vasectomy to consider it like a permanent mm. fix. You know, you shouldn't go into a vasectomy thinking that like, a year or two down the road, like I'll just get it reversed and it'll be like that. Like it's, it's a more complicated thing. Yeah. So uh, I had a question on that. So when you get it done, do you shoot blanks? Like does anything come out of your penis still? Do you still have calm or? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You come normally because the only thing we're cutting off is the sperm from getting into the ejaculate. So everyone thinks that there's their come comes from their testicles, but the only thing that comes from your testicles is the sperm. Um, the fluid itself is made primarily in the prostate and the seminal vesicles, which oh, are totally separate. I didn't know that. See, I, that's that's something new. And then also like getting a vasectomy when you have it already and for a long period of time and when you get it undone, um, does that cause problems like with it, anything or you just revert back to normal? No. I mean, if, if the surgery is successful, then, yeah, you you can you, you go back to normal like you're, you're come at that point. We'll then have sperm in it again. Mm, gotcha. Yeah. OK. But from a sexual function standpoint like yeah. your ejaculate is the same like if you are with somebody before they get a vasectomy and then you're with them after their like volume shouldn't change like nothing about the cum itself should change except for microscopically if you look at it under a microscope there's no sperm in it gotcha. they can't get anybody pregnant mm. 
Uh, also, just on the topic of uh, safe sex, we want to talk a little bit about STIs. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, you know, we, we were reading about people using their penis to, to do drugs, right, Eric? Yeah, we don't advocate drug use, but, like, there are some people that will take syringes and put drugs in their penis. Like, what's the cause and effect of doing that? I guess it depends on what kind of drug you're talking about. Okay. Um, I mean, it's a mucosal surface, so you can absorb quickly. It's sort of like when people put drugs or take medications that are sublingual, like under their tongue. Mm-hmm. It gets absorbed through the mucosa quicker. Um, then if you're swallowing it or doing the drug some other way, um, I mean, again, I don't really condone drug use, so I definitely would not condone drug use in your urethra. <laughs> <laughs> no, right, um, right, right. But like, yeah. like using needles and stuff like that, like, does it also like create the ED effect and, and obviously it, it would, right. All this drug use. Um, I, it, it depends on the drug. Yeah, that's all I can really say. It depends on what you're injecting, I guess. Okay. Now, another interesting question I wanted to ask. When we start off at birth, do we have female genitalia and then go into male genitalia? Does it grow into that? Everybody has undifferentiated genitals that because of whatever your um, chromosomes sort of dictate, um, cause certain hormones to increase and others to decrease. And then that causes um, differentiation of the external genitals. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we all kind of start from like a base and then at some point in our development in utero, in utero, uh, because of, um, uh, genetics, essentially turning on and off hormones, um, your genitals kind of form, uh, appropriately. Mm, gotcha. And there are, you know, there are, there are people who are, um, have disorders of sexual, like, um, differentiation essentially where they, they may have a mix of internal and external, um, you know, uh, male and female designated, um, genitals uh other people who have like hybrids so there's definitely things that can go wrong with that and well since we're getting close to uh uh, valentine's day i wanted to ask you just a quick quick question on a couple of things one are Mm -hmm. you single (laughs) um i am single yeah great and two what is the like the best advice that you can give for somebody who is single uh celebrating valentine's day and also a couple (laughs) the best advice um valentine's is different this year i think given the pandemic so i mean i i think my advice for a single person first first of all like obviously if i'm single like i'm not the the best at you know dating so i don't know if i'm the best person to be giving advice but um you know, I just think like, do whatever makes you happy, right? Like if you have a partner, then use that day, um, to let them know that you love them and you care about them. And whether that be, you know, going to a socially distanced dinner outside at a restaurant, now that things are a little bit more open. Great. If that involves like staying in on the couch and having a romantic night in great. Um, if you're, if you're single and that means like hanging out with your other single friends and just to be around people that you love, I think that's all definitely appropriate behavior for Valentine's Day. But, you know, if you're going to go out, definitely be safe. Like, wear your masks. Like, just because it's Valentine's Day, it's still Valentine's Day, like, in a pandemic, and you should still follow the rules and be as safe as possible. Exactly. And also let your penis shine on Valentine's Day, if that's possible. I think your, I mean, your penis should shine every day, not just Valentine's Day. Every day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Well, thank you, Dr. Gonzalez. We do appreciate you coming on and joining us and, you know, taking time out of your day to, you know, educate us as well. So, yeah. uh, Social media, where can we find you? Plugs, websites? Yeah. So I'm on um, a lot of different platforms. So you can find me on Facebook, uh, Instagram, TikTok. 
at Joshua Gonzalez MD. Um, I use Twitter um, a lot also. It's mostly to like interact with colleagues, but on there I'm at SexMedLA. And um, I think a good resource for most of the people who are interested in learning more about me and what I do is just going to my website. And that's just joshuagonzalezmd.com. Um, and you, there's a, a bunch of blogs that I've written. There's um, podcasts that I've been involved with um, on there. There's um, a little bit about me um, and there's services that we offer in the office. So it's a really good sort of um, resource for, for all that stuff. And then when, uh, when are you going to start the, the, the testing for your, your, my, my supplement, your supplements. Um, there you go. Probably <laughs> if everything goes well, it probably will be like later this year. Um, okay. I will almost certainly post something about it on my, on my different platform. Yeah, most definitely. We are going to, we are going to be looking for people to participate. So, um, stay tuned. And you're welcome to come back for, for, uh, for the review so we can find out what's going on. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> All you. right, guys. Well, I know a lot of you are thinking about more dick. So when we come back, we'll tell you who's packing. You're listening to the Humma Homie Podcast. was a good interview with dr gonzalez the dick doc from tiktok so i had a really good time i had a really good dis uh, discussion with him what about you i learned a lot especially because it comes from him you know mm -hmm. it comes from a you know a professional and like we were saying most of our education when it comes to our dicks is from porn it's from blogs it's from like word of mouth from your dad from your brother you know yeah and we never really took time to see a doctor that specializes in our dicks. So, you know, that's why I asked him, I said, are we supposed to be seeing you like every year or do we just come to you whenever we have an issue? Yeah. You know, it's very important to get checked up um, everywhere, all parts of your bodies. And cause you just never know. And it's better to prevent. And you know what I liked about that interview is what, when you came in with that question, um, really good question about like, do they uh, teach it in the medical uh, school? And he said five hours out of four years, he's only had LGBTQ, um, uh, training. And I was just really shocked by that. That's actually pretty sad. You know, there should be more training. Yeah. Even Dr. Carlton from our, what is it? Two episodes ago when we talked all about the butts, uh, for those of you who are listening, who are just joining us, uh, the homo homie podcast, we had the butt doctor from TikTok join us. And that episode is all about the anus. Dr. Carlton. Yes. Um, and my favorite part that you brought up was penis sizes around the world. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I'm always curious, you know, they always say like the stereotypes, like, oh, black guys have the biggest dicks, you know, BBC and this and that. And I don't know. I mean, you listed the top five countries around the world. Was it Congo, Ecuador, Ghana, Venezuela, and Colombia? Mm -hmm. I don't know about this Venezuela thing, though. I don't. Well, hold I up. don't know. Hold hold hold, hold up, up, girl. Well, yeah, girl. Yeah. Shoot, Pfft, I, I thought well, it was gonna be I, somewhere in Africa because you know they say black men are well hung. Well, let me give you some breaking news. The Congo is in Africa, boo. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh my god uh, oh girl so to, answer your, so to answer your question about who's packing there you go now okay so um, the congo is at the top of the list and then um well, the next list uh, wait, hold, what hold on hold on okay. hold on before we get to the little ones because you know i don't want to talk about that <laughs> uh, um okay so i'm tripping because so i lived in miami for 10 years like everybody knows 
and I had my taste of the rainbow as far as Ecuadorians, Venezuelans, Colombians. And I don't know if y'all are listening and you're from Venezuela and you're in the top five in the world, like hit me up or, you know, www.joseresandes.com because I haven't, you know, I, I haven't had an encounter or like you said, a suitor that is <laughs> well hung from Venezuela. Really? Yeah, I mean, have you? I mean, Wait, you're, you've been in LA. You've so, been in LA all your life. So you're saying so most, of, from, most of the guys you've been with are Mexican. Mm-hmm. But you're saying from Venezuela, so that means that you've been around the way, girl. Yes. Oh, oh, but, she's very international, just like me. <laughs> well, I've never been. I've never been with somebody from the Congo or Ghana, but I've been with somebody from Venezuela and Colombia. I don't think I've messed with anybody from Ecuador. Oh, well, I've had a little taste of everything. You know, I, I've had a little buffet of men in life, but. I mean, the biggest I've ever had was 13 inches, and he was Italian, Italian French. So I was like, all right, cool. Like, that was that was huge. Girl, I was sore for days. I couldn't walk. I felt like I was impregnated, and he, like, <laughs> ripped my insides, and they were, like, bruised. It's like, oh, my God. It was that bad. No, no joke. Yeah, it felt good. Are, are you still in contact? No, he moved. <laughs> I was so mad. Oh my um, god. And he was just sorry. he was so handsome. He was so beautiful. And he had an accent too. So I was like, yes. He had to go back to Europe. Yeah. And you love spaghetti, so that's that. <laughs> yeah, you're so dumb. Well, speaking about big ones, let's get into the little ones. And this is like a no surprise. And the bottom five is South and North Korea, Cambodia, Thailand, India, and Burma. So the Asian men are more inclined to have smaller penises sorry guys wait but why did you say there's no surprise here why did you say that that comment i think because it's like stereotypical uh, I'm, I'm not gonna lie um you hear it a lot i have never i've only been with one asian man who actually had a really nice sized dick it was probably about seven inches but remember i said like only eight percent have more than seven inches gotcha so that's like that's a yeah. rarity i came back i came by some rarities girl hey yeah i don't think i've ever been with somebody from cambodia or burma um or korea north and south i haven't but i, I have been with an asian guy and it was nice um but india is different because there's like, oh, like just like in every country and every, you know, uh, race, there's like different ethnicities and different um, like subcultures within the country, mm-hmm. you know, like, like even like in Mexico, like Northern Mexicans versus like Southern Mexicans and things like that. And so I don't know if this, these statistics apply to like the entire country or a specific part of the country, if that makes sense. These countries are huge, by the way, they're humongous. Oh yeah. But I, I, that's why I asked, I was like, well, it's surprising to me because we see it so much in porn or we see it through social media, like these guys with big dick, big, huge dicks. And, you know, you asked him like about the, the penis pump. Is that is it because of that or how do you make your dick bigger? Like he's like, well, you can't really make your dick big. Yeah. So that's kind of well, like my curiosity. I, I you know, I, I, I like playing with big ones. I can't help it. Shit, bigger is better. <laughs> do you feel like bigger is better for real? I can. Why? Okay. Too big is like the 13 that I told you about. That's just way too much. I mean, it's fun to play with, fun to look at, fun to suck with, you know, lick and all that. But a normal a normal size for me, that would be befitting, you would say, uh, probably seven. Yeah, seven. 
seven to eight inches is good for me. All right. I have a better question for you, though. Let's say you fell in love with a guy. He was the love of your life, but he had a five-incher. Would you, Eric, accept that five-incher for better or worse till death do you part? <laughs> You're so stupid. Yes, I would. Because I think I, say, yes, I do. Oh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. No, get it. Yes, I would. Ha <laughs> ha. Let me put let me put the cock ring on you. That's <laughs> stupid. I think that was our first wedding on the podcast. Yay! Yay. <laughs> so you would you would like you would just deal with it? Yeah. Well, five inches is not that bad either. Five inches is good. Five inches is like what the size of a dollar. Okay. I mean, because, you, you know, you come from those 13 Oh, look at my, know, my phone. Level. Okay, so my phone. I have the, the Note 20 Plus, um, the Ultra Note 20 Plus Samsung. Thank you very much. <laughs> We're not okay. advertised by them, but anyways. And it is like six inches. So five inches is just a little bit smaller than that. Okay, so you're going to marry that. Okay, cool. I can marry that. I can do that. That's not bad. Look at I, I can, I, I can put the, it, goes, it goes all the oh, way to the back wow, of my mouth guys. like that. Eric is holding up the phone to his throat just for measure. <laughs> wow. All right. So that, I think that concludes our episode. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, make sure you're following us on social media. Cause I want to know what next topic we should conquer. You know, our podcast is a little bit different. We try to bring on guests that are experts in their field and we try to stick to that topic. Uh, versus just like chit-chatting all the time. Although our last episode, you should check out, we chatted about dating apps and hookup apps and whether or not that was like destroying our gay community. And we got into like the perks, the pros, the cons of all those apps out there. Um, oh, and so wait, yeah. hold um, on. I'm going to stop you right there, bitch, because I know you're calling me out on a few shit. And I did that whole blocking shit that you told me about. This is an update, okay? So... I blocked a couple of bitches, right? I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm do it. Guess what happened? It stopped me from a limited number of blocking. And then I had to purchase the damn app. And I didn't purchase it because I like the free version. So I'm good. I have to watch a video to add 50 more people to watch. <laughs> Listen, if you got to watch a little video ad to get some clarity in your life, then you watch that ad. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. I did. I love that ad. And it gave me 50 more people to view their profiles. So go. 50 more people it gives you like 50 more people. Wow. But then there again, I went back to like trying to block them and it didn't let me. It says purchase the, the pro version, whatever it is. The upgraded well, you version. probably have a limited number of blocks per day or per month or something like that. Mm -hmm. But look, it, it goes to show that I'm really not that sexually active. So I guess I am picky. Okay. Is that a badge of honor or something? Yeah. Why not? Okay. Sure. Thank you. Just because you have a lot of sex doesn't mean you're a bad person. I know. I'm just saying. Okay. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> yeah, like, like so, keep yeah. eating your but, salad, uh, home. Keep eating your salad, okay? <laughs> go to www.thehomohomiepodcast.com and you can donate to our mission to keep this podcast going. And you can also check out all the different platforms that we are streaming on. And also, we challenge you to please share this episode with five dicks in your life. We all know five dicks out there. Um, Tom, Dick, and Harry. <laughs> yeah. Hey, and I know that guys are going to start sending us dick pics through Instagram or through whatever, through Twitter. Hey, I'm here for it. Shout I'm it. here for it too. Shoot. We can rate some. Yes. Let's rate your dick pics. Just send us some dick pics. I don't mind. I I'll tell yeah, you if it's beautiful. I'll tell you if it's beautiful, if it's cute, if it's a handsome dick, if it's a nice dick. And I'm, more, I'm, more, I'm more of the person that tells you like, oh, you need a haircut. <laughs> 
<laughs> you're, you know? Yeah. Or like, or if they're like uncut and you can kind of like see something and I'm just like, oh, I think you should pull your skin a little bit more back, scrub a little bit. There's some cheese there. It might not, you might not be able to see it, <laughs> but like I could just tell from the photo. So that's me. Oh my goodness. I love it. Oh my God. We should do dick reviews, live dick reviews. <gasps> Not live. We're going to get banned from the internet. Oh, that's right. Okay. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you so much. Um, thank you to Dr. Joshua R. Gonzalez for coming through and uh, taking his time out of his day to, you know, educate us and also thank you Jose for always being my great amazing co-host and helping me out with all these situations and thank you to the little dog that's barking in the background because I don't know where that's coming from (laughs) so and thank you the listener for always listening in on our podcasts and episodes and just supporting us so you guys take care wrap it before you tap it Enjoy your Valentine's Day with those that you love or, hey, with yourself. So treat yourself. Why not? Uh, And remember to always be good or be good at it. But be safe. Bye, guys. We love you. Bye.